Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. everyone, I'm Russ Salzberg, and I want you all to listen up and get a load of this. The Giants are a miserable 1-7 and seven in last place. And everybody, and I mean everybody, has an opinion on what to do about it. So I figured, who better to ask and chat with than an expert? The man who made the deal for Eli Manning to become a Giant. I'm talking about former Big Blue General Manager, Ernie Acorsi. So like I said, listen up, because you're really going to want to get a load of this. All right, so like I said, everybody's got an opinion on your 1-7 and seven Giants, and I really thought there is nobody better to ask about this, especially going into the bye week, than the man who was a you know former general manager with the Giants. He was the man who brought Eli Manning to the Giants. I'm talking about Mr. Ernie Acorsi, who's been with us before. Ernie, thanks for being here. My pleasure, Russ. Yeah, I mean, I wish we were talking with a situation that was seven and one as opposed to one and seven. But as uh, Bill Parcell says, you are what your record says you are. So everybody's got an opinion on this, Ern. And, you know, let me ask you straight up. Uh, it's one and seven. Um, I didn't expect this. I, listen, you consulted the Giants on bringing Dave Gettleman, who as far as I'm concerned, was without a doubt the right guy for the job. I, I still believe that. But having said that, is this 1-7 a shock to your system? Well, first of all, I don't have any more answers than anybody else because I'm just a fan on my couch. But uh, now, I didn't expect 1-7, no. Uh, I, I knew that, look, I've been a part of rebuilding, Russ. Um, and, I, and I don't want to get sidetracked on my answer, but I do want to explain one thing. That I mean, I took over a Baltimore Colt team that was winless the year before in the strike season, nine games, and we won seven games in, in the first year after that. It was a block by block rebuilding in a different time, no free agency. But after we went to the Super Bowl in 2000, I sat down with Dave and Jerry and I said, We're not good enough to win a world championship. We have to rebuild this team. Now we're coming off a Super Bowl, but I said, We have to rebuild it. I said, we have to read the offensive line played its heart out, but with Glenn Parker and Lomas Brown and, and Ziegler, we had a lot of age there. I said, we have a good quarterback. We've got to get a great quarterback, and we have no pass rushers. I said, so we have to block by block rebuild this team. Now, that was 2000. 2002, we made a little run, blew that 34-14 to 14 playoff game in the fourth quarter to San Francisco. And in 2003, we fell apart, 4-12. and 12. Right. Okay, so I would... We started to rebuild the team in 2004 with Eli, plus we, we started picking O.C. and Tuck. We had Strahan, Kiwanuka, signed Antonio Pierce in Plexico. We rebuilt that team, and it, it didn't win again. Till, it didn't win until 2007, although it won the division in five, 2005, made the playoffs in 2006. The reason I retrace this is you can't do it overnight. I mean, you've got to do it methodically. Uh, you can't be influenced by panic. And it's going to be step by step. I, I can't imagine anybody better to do it than Dave. He he was part of our rebuild. He didn't rebuild from scratch with Carolina, but they weren't ready to go to the Super Bowl. And in two years, they did. Uh, you have to rebuild the blocks, and you can't. The, you, you listen. You need all twenty-two players plus the two specialists. But 
you've got to have, number one, the quarterback, and number two, the two lines. If you don't have pass rushers and you can't protect the passer in today's game, which is a passing league, you know, then you're not going to win. So you have to start to rebuild that, and that takes time. So it's gonna, he knows how to do it. But, you know, unfortunately, this isn't college where you can recruit 25 five-star players. You get seven draft picks. You have to be careful in free agency. And he'll get it done. But the, 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 the one in seven record, I mean, except for the Eagles game, they were in every game. So they could have won any one of those games. I'm not saying they're a playoff team, but they could have won any one of those games. So one in seven records happen when things don't fall your way or you don't get a touchdown or, you know, you don't, things don't happen at the end of the game. But, you know, it's, it's going to be a complete rebuild. And sometimes you've got to get worse before you get better. So, you know, the record is inconsequential at this point. It's, it's, are they on the road to rebuilding the team? Well, let, let me ask you this, because you brought up the the three things, the three factors, the pass rush, you know, offensive line protection, and the passer. The elephant in the room every day, you know, you know ad nauseum in the newspaper, uh, on the radio, on Twitter, uh, every place, is the quarterback. And, you know, obviously... Eli is on the back nine. We, we all know that. Eli knows that. But, uh, you know, uh, and this is not, I'm not the president of the Eli Manning Chamber of Commerce. Uh, I just know what he's done and what he's capable of, of doing. I, I think he's being unfairly whipped on to the point, I mean, you would think he's a bum who can't do anything. You know, football, to me, and you being a GM knows better, or a former GM knows better than anybody. It's got to be the cohesiveness, as you say, of the twenty-two guys, eleven on offense, eleven on defense. And if if he can't be upright and he's on his ass, he can't be the Eli that you want him to be. Yeah, I know, Russ. But the quarterback's the lightning rod. Now, you, look, I was with the Baltimore Colts. I got my start with them in nineteen sixty-eight which is two years before I got there. I was at a game against the Cleveland Browns. They went 13-1, and lost to the Super, the Super Bowl game to the Jets. They, Marl was, was having a bad game. He, he led them to 13 wins. Bad game, so they put Unitas in. He had been hurt preseason. They booed him loudly, okay? 1972, in the beginning of the season, before he was benched, they booed him. So when, when I, I was just a, a puppy, but I realized to myself, I said, if they can boo Johnny United, oh my goodness. they can boo anybody. Yeah, okay? you're right. You're so, right. And, and you know, Paul Brown, God rest his soul, used to talk before, before he died. I used to ask him a million historical questions. They were booing Otto Graham. Now, Otto Graham went to 10 championship games, won seven of them in his career. And, you know, they had a backup named George Raderman. Now, the, the most popular guy on the team is the backup quarterback, especially if he's a veteran with any credentials. And he used to tell the story that they started the chant in Cleveland, we want Ratterman, we want Ratterman. Of course, Paul Brown, being a pretty tough guy, went over to Ratterman and said, they want you to go sit with them. Okay? Uh, but, but the quarterback is always going to be the lightning rod. And natu- it's natural. I mean, that's the way it is. Uh, you know, he's the person that people watch. And, and, you know, and I feel, look, I, I don't have a lot of object, objectivity with, with Eli. I mean, Eli's almost like a member of my family. Yeah, he's your guy. You brought him. And and I I know what he's brought here. I know that he's the only guy in the history of this franchise to win two world championships. I love him to death, and and I hate to see him go through this. But, you know, I've been around. 
I was in the league 45 years. I've seen it all, so nothing surprises me. That's just the way it is. Well, so, okay, that brings me to this question then. Do you think at 1-7, and seven, not to insult Eli, just because the Giants, as you say, you know, they got to start doing a block by block. They need Do they need to know what they have in Kyle Loletta? And does do you think Eli needs to take a seat, or do they continue with this, uh, you know, on this avenue? Russ, I've been retired 11 years. I have never commented on okay. what the Giants should do, and I'm not starting now. That that they don't need that from me. And, I, and you know, when I was take, when I took over as general manager in '98, George Young never did that. And I learned from George Young, and he and he would call and said, "You need any what any advice?" And it, but and I always asked because I called him most of the time, and I took his advice. Believe me. But he never said a word, and I'm never going to say a word. That's not my job. They right. have they have enough of people there that that have great experience and know the situation better than I do. Uh, and you know, I just root. That's all I do. Well, f- fair enough. I mean, me personally, I think Eli needs to play because, and you know, listen, nobody's ever you, you know me from working with you. Uh, nobody's ever accused me of being a Pollyanna. But I look at the situation, and he was sacked seven times yesterday, okay? I mean, it's 31 times the first half of the season. So to say, I mean, I, I guess I, I, it ruffles my feathers because people talk about him as if he should be discarded like an also ram. But, you know, you just brought up a good point before. If Johnny Unitas can get booed... <laughs> Anybody. Eli can get booed. Anybody can get booed. I, I, I think it gets ugly. And listen, probably nobody is more qualified to talk about this because you were a journalist before you got into this business. You, you were a newspaper man. You were a newspaper writer. And no, albeit, Ernie, it was in a different time, okay? And especially now with social media. But I just find now the agenda from certain people it it's such a pile on uh on Eli and not just Eli quite frankly a pile on on the giants people have an agenda every day where it's it's almost i feel they don't want it to get better and my concern is you know you know what that does then it gets the natives unhappy and the fans unhappy and they buy into it and you know uh i listen i believe Dave Gettleman uh you and i have discussed this before the best kind of GMs are the ones who think not with their hearts, even though it's hard sometimes. Because if you start thinking with your hearts and thinking, you know, worrying about the heat, you're not going to succeed. Am I correct? Correct. I mean, you have to, you know, I, I, I'm a sports historian, and especially in my retirement years, I, I don't know what good it's going to do me at this point in my life, but, but I, I, still take notes and still listen to GMs and still listen to coaches and managers. And I heard Kenny Holland interviewed the Detroit Red Wings. And they went to the playoffs 20 straight years. I think they won three Stanley Cups. And they, didn't, they, they missed them badly the last two years. And it looked like I think they're one and eight. So they're headed for no playoffs again. He is getting a tremendous amount of heat. That's a rabid hockey town, as you know. It's called Hockey Town USA. Right. Um, and I heard him interviewed the other day on the Hockey Channel on XM. I was driving. And he said, I have one, he said, I have one thing I tell my staff, steady on the rudder. He said, I trust my scouts. I trust our system. It's worked. Sure, it's, it's got to be tinkered with, adapted to the future, changed, and we have to be progressive, be aware of 
analytics and statistics, which is the byword of the day. He said, but believe in your principles, circle the wagons, and don't be influenced from outside words. You, you listen to the people who are in the boat with you, whose careers are on the line, and that's what you have to do. Easier said than done, but that's what you have to do. But, Russ, today, every fan's a reporter. Yeah. I mean, you, you walk down the street. I'm very, very careful now. Not as much today, although people still come up to me. But particularly when I was general manager, people would come up and, and you know, vent their frustrations. I kept my mouth shut and thanked them and walked Because you say one word, it's out there. No matter what you say. You talk to a reporter, it's different. You're on guard. But today, I mean, they all have cameras in their phone, and they, and they have recorders. And they'll write what you say. And, and once it gets out there, I mean, I've asked reporters, do you guys react to these blogs and to uh, Twitter, which I, I don't have, uh, and all these things? And they say, we have to because our editors react to it. I mean, our editors will come to us and say, you know, I just read on Twitter that this and this. You don't have that story. So I've got to follow those stories to see where they lead me. I mean, they're all, these reporters are on call 24 hours a day. I was never on call 24 hours a day. We had deadlines from 5.30 to 12.30 as a morning paper, the Philadelphia Inquirer. After that, I could sleep. We weren't <laughs> coming out. Unless they declared war, there was not going to be no extra. Okay? Well, you know, I, I can tell you from experience, uh, my own personal experience, I agree with what you say. It, it, that I do understand because uh, I know from being in a TV newsroom, somebody sees something on Twitter or you're in a radio uh, newsroom, somebody sees something on Twitter. Did you get this? Did you run? I mean, I so, somebody yeah. farted. Did you get this? No, really, to the point that it gets crazy. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I'm not happy to be old, but I, I don't know. I'm happy not to be working in this era because it's tough. I mean, you have to you have to have severe self-discipline, extreme self-discipline, because otherwise, you know, you can be affected by all this. You just have to understand that, you know, I, I told a, uh, Joe Thomas, who I – I thought that was, you know, the, the, one of the great evaluators of all time. And he was my boss in Baltimore at the end, the general manager I worked for at the end. And he's the guy who eventually benched Unitas and traded him, which caused a furor. Now, people were booing Unitas. The minute that he benched him, he, he martyred him. Yeah, right. And they turned on him. And I said to him once, but he also, but he was, he, was, he didn't like criticism. So I said to him one time, I said, you know, you got a problem, Joe. You have Harry Truman's guts and Lyndon Johnson's thin skin. That's not a good combination, okay? <laughs> if you're going to be Harry Truman, you've got to have Harry Truman's thick skin. And you better have a thick skin. Listen, I didn't like being criticized, but I, I, I guess maybe because I was a reporter, and even in a different generation, I had been critical of players and coaches that I understood that was that that's part of the game. I, I knew it, and I, I, I mean, I would, you know, try not to, like Georgia said, they don't read the papers. I said, that's impossible. Because if I happen not to have read the papers, somebody in that office is going to tell me, did you see what was in the papers? Right. So I'm going to know what's in the papers, but you just have to, you listen, you can't be have a one-track mind. You have to be flexible and open to people's suggestions. And believe me, there are suggestions and things that the media has mentioned or fans have mentioned that I've listened to. And it made, it made sense. I mean, nobody has exclusivity on, on the right thing to do. And, and a lot of these fans, you know, and I always understood this, 
The fans have an emotional stake in this team. I was a fan. I know what it was like to grow up as a Yankee fan, second-guessing Casey Stengel, not bringing Ford in the 1960 World Series. I still haven't gotten over that. Okay, but that's part of being a fan. But, it was, but it was, I mean, I have tears in my eyes when Mazeroski hit the homer. So the point is that I know that fans are invested. Their emotion, it's sincere emotion. Sure, they strike out and are critical. Well, so was I. And, and uh, I mean, I'll tell you, in the 1955 World Series, which the Dodgers claim is their only victory in, in while well, they were in Brooklyn, right. Stengel loved Noren. Mantle got hurt. Instead of playing Bob Servi, he, he played Noren, who hit in the six double plays in one seven-game series. Still a record. I, I still remember that, and I was second-guessing Stengel. So I've been through that. You don't let things go, do no, you? No, no, I don't <laughs> let things go, okay? I always said the Dodgers talk about 55. Mantle was hurt. That's the only reason they won. But But the fact is that that that's why I've always been tolerant of that because I understand it. Uh, you know, you can't let everything influence you, but you pay attention well, and, then, and then go back to work. Yeah, the, the, I you know, and I, and I don't want to get stuck uh, on the media, but it, it has become so much part of it. You know, my, my only point is: look, last year when the team was two and nine, and um, you know Ben. Uh, and Jerry, uh, you know, attempted to bench Eli and uh, or at least, you know, have him start and have somebody else come in. And Eli didn't want to go for it. OK, but at two and nine, there was an uproar and everybody went nuts in favor of poor Eli, uh, in particular people in the media. Uh, and quite frankly, I, I thought it wasn't genuine sincerity because th- they were using Eli as an excuse because they didn't like Ben. So that that's a way for us to get a Ben. Then two games into the season, forget the one and seven. At 0 and 2, you could you probably read this stuff because you're in a, a newspaper guy. At 0 and 2, oh, they made the wrong pick. They shouldn't have gotten Saquon. They needed to get Donald. Uh, I mean, Eli's had it and you know, just be consistent. That's all I say and and that but that's the world that we live in right now. All right, so let me ask you this. I, I, you know, you're not going to make a decision for, you know, when I ask you about should they do this with Eli or not. In your opinion, can Eli still play quarterback? I, I don't look. I told you before. I, I, 11 years I haven't gotten into this. Okay. So I'm not going to get right. into it now, right. okay? And, and I, I'm too close to Eli. I don't want to get into Fair it. Fair enough. That's not my decision. I, 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 I respect it. Listen, I wanted John for, you know, because you're Ernie Accorsi. But, you know, when I look at the situation, they had 37 yards rushing yesterday, okay? And you're talking to a guy, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm doing their shows twice a week. I do their pregame shows. You know, they had 37 yards rushing. They got a stud running back. So that tells me when everybody, you know, it's not just about pass protection. It's about run blocking as well. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have any running room, and, and basically he – Play the plays he makes, he kind of makes on his own. Uh, he's got to bounce it outside. But you know, if, if they, they don't, I, I can see how they're playing this. I mean, they're they they feel that they're rushing the passer. The passer doesn't have much time to to throw. They're not going to beat us in the air, so we're just going to shut down the running game. And if you do that, you become one dimensional, and that's what they're doing with us. I mean, you have to run the ball. You know, you, you look. Tom Brady doesn't have to run the ball all the time. I mean, I saw him come out one night on a Monday night game where he threw 21 straight passes, I think, in the first 21 plays. But he may be the greatest to ever play the game, and and he was protected. So he got, you know, even though he did never 
had great, great receivers except for Randy Moss, who he only had at the end of his career, but for the most part, he, he's Tom Brady, but, but, uh, and they had a, a team around him. But for the most part, to get anything out of the passing game, you have to have the running game. I mean, Parcells used to always say that. I, I, I don't want to quote him incorrectly, but I remember him telling me one time, when you commit to the run, it isn't to try it for a while, that you can go in at halftime with 20 yards and 17 carries. You come out, you run the ball again in the second half because running the ball is a mentality, and you have to keep trying it and trying it and trying it. But if your offensive line can't, dom- can't dominate the line of scrimmage, then you're not going to be able to run the ball when, when they, don't, they don't feel they're going to get burned throwing the ball. So that's what's happening to, to the offense. So, although the offense is moving, there's, there are you know, yards being compiled, it's just it gets in scoring position and they, they can't score. No, okay. So forget the Giants for a second, okay? I'm, 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 you know, I'm trying to get to a point here, but you know, you have a team that can go up and down the field, and then you know you get, as we say, you know, get to the red zone, uh, and it all bogs down. Is it just a function of again? Uh, the line play, or is it just a combination? Uh, you, you know, it could be the Giants or anybody else. Is it a combination of okay, we getting into this area where we have trouble, and it does does it become psychological? You can't. It's a hard place to score. Yeah. Okay. Number one, but I I think, and this is really a generalization, and and the game has changed because twenty years ago it was probably. 60 to 40 run runs to pass. Now it's almost 60 to 40 pass to run. But even with that said, that usually, and, and the red zone is, is a misnomer. Is it the 30? Is it inside the 20? To me, the red zone's inside the 15, 10-yard line. That, that's when you have to score. You have to run the ball down there. And if you look at what happens to all teams, they'll run the ball in first down. They don't get anything. So it's second, and now they throw it. And you start throwing those fades, which, in a sense, those fade patterns, that's like playing against 13 men. You have the sideline and the back line. Yeah, that, the, the fade pattern has to be a perfect throw and catch for it to work. And everybody seems to try those. Now it's third down. And, and it's tough to throw down there. It's all jammed up. And you have to, you know, somebody's got to break open or have tremendous protection where you can wait for somebody to break open. That's why it's so hard. But if you can run the ball down there, if you're on the nine-yard line, every yard line, you get seven yards on first down. Now you got a chance. It's second and goal from the two. But you don't see that happening very often. I mean, it's just, but you know, you, you see guys like the Rams can run the ball. Gurley gets yards down there. And, and uh, you know, Peterson can still run the ball. And, but there aren't, and their their line's good. So when you can get significant yardage on first down down there, you can score. But if you're not, now you're behind the eight ball, and you got to try to make a, you got to try to fit a play in there. It's not, it's not easy. You, you know what, Ernie? You may. Uh, I'm serious when I say this. You really make it sound simple. Uh, and and uh, you know, football to me, of, of all the sports. I think football is the most complicated just because you have the most men on the field at one time and I think it's it's the quintessential team sport. If every, every, if everybody is not working in unison, you know, things can go, you know, bad wrong real fast. You know, baseball's a little different and you you know, in basketball um you know, one guy doesn't win it by himself, but if you have one guy who can dominate, you know, it it, it makes a difference. Uh you know, to me, you have a kid like like Saquon, 
I, I guess you're answering the question that it all has to work together. Yeah, I mean, it, it may sound simple, but it's not easy to run the ball down there. Right. You know, I mean, they're jamming you up, and it's it's hard. I mean, it, it's it's you see it, and, and it, listen, we wouldn't have eight million field goals being kicked every week if it was easy to score down there. Now, our our red zone is is near the bottom of the league, but they're it's difficult for most teams down there. And if you don't run it, uh, you you got you, you better you know if you look at I don't have this broken down in analytics. But to me, most of the passing touchdowns inside the 10-yard line are done on first or second down. Very rarely is it going to be third down or fourth down if you don't elect to kick the field goal. And, and it's, just, it's just very, very difficult. But you, running the ball, you know, it's still com- even though you have a, a big pass ratio advantage now in percentages, running the ball and stopping the runner, you've got to start there before you go any further. And then you go to the pass blocking and stopping the pass and rushing the passer. But if they can run on you, First of all, it disheartens you. It, takes, it breaks your will. And secondly, it sets everything else up. And it's tough if, you know, if, if they're going to do what they're doing, they're jamming our poor Saquon in the backfield before he ever gets any kind of traction. Yeah, I don't know if you're aware of this. And, and I, I know <laughs> just by you talking to me the way you were t- listening to the uh, hockey channel uh, uh, on Sirius. But, you know, Saquon, uh, I think... He was well. You know what? Going into this past weekend, Eli was sixth in passing yardage. Saquon was fourth in in rushing yardage, and Odell was fourth in receiving yardage. You know what, Ernie? That was uh, that's happened only seven times in the last decade, and two of them are this season. It was the the it's the Giants and and the Chiefs. So that that's not easy to do. But but Saquon. Going into yesterday, uh, and I'm sure it didn't change. He, he, I mean, this is Saquon Barkley. He led the league in in um, most negative yard rushes. So, I mean, well, yeah, and, and they mentioned it yesterday that he, uh, there, are, you know, he gets he makes a lot of big plays, and a lot of them he makes he bounces outside. But it's not like he's got a steady diet of, of five yards a carry. Right. He'll he'll make a run for thirty five yards, and then have negative yardage, and that's exactly the reason is what they're doing to him. I mean, he, if, he, if he gets a seam and he gets a crack and accelerates with that power, he's on his way. But if he, doesn't, if he can't get out of the blo- starting blocks, it's impossible for him for that to happen. I mean, he's making plays in the passing game, too. He's, he's flaring out of the backfield and, and, and getting a quarterback out of trouble very often. He's compiling yardage as a receiver. But you got to get him out in space, and you know we haven't been able to do that. You being an old uh, publicity guy at, at Penn State, you must love uh, the fact that he's a giant. Yeah, I was. I mean, I was really happy, and I saw him play. I watched them every week, um, and and I, I just fell in love with the guy, just like everybody else. That not only uh, you know, not only is a great player, but he's such a great kid i mean and i still have some contacts back there and, and not many but some and, and they all just underline that that he's he's humble he's a great kid great family and uh just yesterday there was a little girl that that uh, has been ill uh that wanted to uh, she's made a great comeback and her father took it to the game yesterday and she's a from pennsylvania mm-hmm. and she's a penn state fan and she bought a barkley jer- jersey and um she she wanted to go to the field pregame. I got her passes to go on the field pregame from Allison Stansby. Right, sure. And and she's down there, and 
uh, her father sent me an email when, after they went home. She said that she was down there, and I told him, I said, you can't talk to players. You can't. So Barkley comes running by. She's got the Barkley jersey. She's a cute little girl. She's like 13 or 14 years old, and she's waving to him, and he comes all the way over and high-fives her. I mean, you know, that's him. This is pregame when a lot of them, you know, are so concentrating so heavily and really don't look anywhere but straight ahead, have blinders on. Yet he saw her, saw the jersey, saw the cute little girl, came over, high-fived her. You know, it made her, made her day. might have made her a year. I, I, I'll tell you something. I, I made this comment here before. and I've made it other places on the air, and, and I'm sincere about it. I've been in this town for, for 30 years, you know, and, and – um, I've seen them all, including Derek Jeter, uh, who, as they say in my hood, is a mensch. And I will tell you this. I have never seen anybody, any rookie come into this city, into this town, this area. Uh, and that includes Jeter. And, and you got guys like Aaron Judge who are just tremendous people. Nobody is better than Saquon. I mean, he, he's polished off the field to a point his he's wise beyond his years. He just, uh, I, I guess his parents must have done a bang-up job because he really handles himself extremely well. He's a great kid. I saw one of his first touchdowns when a bunch of players started to come over to surround him and, and celebrate, and he just brushed them off. You know, I mean, I'm not saying he won't eventually, but in his mind, like, I just got here. I'm not going to start celebrating now, and we're behind. And and he just he just ran off off to the bench. He's... He's a special kid. I just hope he gets to enjoy winning here like he did at Penn State. It's got to be tough when you know you play someplace and maybe lose four games and well, he played three years, if that, and, and have to go through this here. It's awful tough. There's no question about well, it. Well, so let me ask you this. Uh, you know, he, he is one in seven now. You know what the old saying is, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Uh, is that how it has to be looked at, both from a player standpoint and the coaching standpoint that this is just going to make you stronger. But, you know, from a coaching standpoint, you know, you got to be psychologist as well to make sure, you know, that you have the pulse of the team. Now, now by, by me saying that I firmly believe Pat Shermer has the pulse of the team. I, I don't think, I don't see any quit in these guys. I don't see any negativity. I mean, are they pissed off? Well, who wouldn't be pissed off at one and seven? Yeah. Uh, first of all, I would, the last thing in the world I would worry about is any uh, psychological problem with Saquon as far as losing? That that doesn't uh, that his character's off the charts. I worry about physically. Uh, that that I always worry about with any running back because they take a beating. Uh, but I don't worry about anything else. He's, he's not going to lose his edge. He's it, he is what he is. His character has already been established. That template's set, um, and he's going to be a leader on this team. I, I just hope he stays healthy. That's the only thing I hope for him. When you okay, so you are you're the general manager of any team. Okay, your record's one and seven. Uh, uh, you're in the bye week. Is it good for the guys to get away to like okay reflect a bit or or just clear the cobwebs and come back or you know some people say hey we just want to stay at it and keep on playing. I I don't know if there's a right or a wrong. You know I asked Odell yesterday. Uh, in post game, and you know, just asked him. He said, "Yeah, maybe it's good just for everybody to take a break, think about it, and then come back strong, and you know, try to win some games." I don't have the pulse of this team. I don't know. Usually, it's it's when things aren't going. You know, when things are going well, you don't want to stop. Right. 
uh, usually when things are not going well, it's it's usually good to, to take some time off. Yeah, but he he has to understand that he's got a very young team. He's got to figure that out. I'm sure he's going to give him some time off. Um, but how much and what he does, I, I I don't. He's got to understand his own team. I don't understand it. I'm not around them. I don't know these kids at all. You mentioned it before, Ernie. I mean, listen, you got a, a pretty well storied career, you know, from, um, you know, the Colts to, to, to the Browns, you had success. I mean, pretty adept at uh, drafting quarterbacks. You, you got uh, Bernie Kosar in the supplemental draft for the Browns in 85. I mean, you helped you go to uh, three AFC championship uh, games and you made the deal for, um, uh, certainly Eli Manning and, you know, two Super Bowl championships later, uh, here the Giants are, albeit right now they're not in a situation they want to be at. Y- you know, everybody talks about the draft, the draft, the draft. How difficult is it? Because, y- you know, Jerry Reese is getting beat up pretty good, but people forget, you know, Jerry was part of a, a pretty good staff under you, and you know they did win two Super Bowls under Jerry Reese. Uh, yeah, the, the draft. Well, the, first of all, when we made the trade for Eli, we ended up with four draft picks. I got hammered. You know, I, I remember standing in the back of an elevator where fans were getting on in, in the old stadium. But when they moved the press box upstairs, right. we were on the same elevator as people who were in the suites. They didn't see me. I'm in the back, and they're, I'm getting killed. It was after a night game. You know, now we only have four picks. We don't have a number one next year. Okay, the next draft we get Corey Webster, Justin Tuck, Brandon Jacobs. Now, our fourth pick was a defensive pass rusher from Florida State, who, and this is spoken like a true general manager, should have made the team. We should have been four for four. He, he got cut. I don't remember what happened to him. But without those three guys, we don't win the two Super Bowls. I don't care who we have at quarterback. Those were three crucial guys. Great pass rusher, <clears throat> a great corner who makes the interception in the championship game, and Brandon Jacobs, who was an incredible big back, okay, uh, who complimented Bradshaw. So the fact is that you, you, that's, you know, if you, you just make your draft choices count. I mean, you don't have to pick Hall of Famers the fourth, fifth, sixth round, but you've got to pick contributing players who help win championships. And the draft is your lifeblood. That's your lifeblood. Now, you, we took that team and we drafted well. We had drafted OC right before that. But we had two huge free agent signings. Antonio Pierce, who ran the defense, and Plexico Burris, who, we don't, again, we don't win without him. So those were two right there. We had others, but those two guys, so we, we used, but we didn't go wholesale in the free agency market. And but we we still lived and died with the draft, and that's how you can get it back. I mean, you know, I I saw Joe Thomas build. We we were two and twelve. It was fourteen games. We had two drafts. He built in, in two drafts. He got Roger Carr, Burt Jones, traded for George Coons, who was a great left tackle, and built the sack pack. So one hundred fifty six sacks in, in three years. We were, we won three straight divisions. It can be done. You just have to draft astutely and very smartly, and keep your poison. Keep your principles and trust your scouts. You know, part of the discussion, you know, with all this business going on with the Giants, you know, I've heard this age-old argument, is Eli an, an elite quarterback? So I get into the, the to the discussion, well, I don't know what elite is 
or very good is. And I've never been a general manager, and I don't think anybody's going to ask me to be one anytime soon. But to me, if any GM, you tell me if I'm wrong or right or wrong. If any GM is drafting a quarterback or he's sitting with his group drafting a quarterback, to me, the number one question is, can he take us to the Super Bowl? Can, can he make the delivery when it's all on the line? You know, obviously, Eli has done that. But is that kind of a mindset when you're drafting a quarterback? Well, is that what you were thinking when you drafted, uh, when, you, when you acquired uh, Eli? The only, the only criteria I've ever had, now I came into the league with Johnny Unitas. So I'm not interested in aesthetics. It's not figure skating, okay? And, and the fact is that the only criteria I ever used is, is can he win the championship? When we, when we got the ball in the 17-yard line in the first Super Bowl, um, and I turned to my son, who was a coach at Virginia and Maryland, I said, if he is what we thought he was, he does it right now, not October 15th against, you know, Miami, okay, now. And, and that's all that matters. He won two Super Bowls. Marino won none. Favre won one. Rodgers has won one. Uh, Elway won two. John Brody, Y.A. Tittle won none. And that's the – look, if I walk into that office, Russ, and – Eli had won 12 straight passing championships and there are no trophies in there, then I, then I got the wrong quarterback. Hmm. And, and he's there, and I'm not saying he did it alone, but I will tell you it's the single most important position in sports that you can list the last 60 world champions going back before the Super Bowls and write down the names of the quarterbacks. And with the exception of about four Billy Wade, uh, the guy who beat us in in, the, in Baltimore, uh, Ripian, uh, a couple, with, with the exception of about four or five, they're all in the Hall of Fame or near in the Hall of Fame. If they're not in the Hall of Fame, they're people who probably are going to get in the Hall of Fame, like Phil Simms. Right. And and so without the quarterback, you're not you're not going to win consistently. I mean, Baltimore waved that guy after he beat us. So if you're going to win consistently, you're going to have a great quarterback who's able, who's a winner. And I always remember as a kid, you know, we played. I was with Colt fan, and we we play against the 49ers, and Brody was all pro. He never. I think we beat him 13 straight times. When Bobby Lane had the ball with two minutes to go, I had a pain in my stomach, and and he was not pretty to watch, but he won three championships, and it's it's that's the criteria I always use. Now everybody else may be different. Marino's had a phenomenal career but he didn't even come close he went to one super bowl and they 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 didn't you know they got beat badly so it, was he a great quarterback yeah he's one of you know he's one of the five or six greatest of all time but the objective when you draft a quarterback is can he win a championship that's why going back to the statement i made at the beginning of this podcast that after the 2000 super bowl yeah. i thought we had to get better yeah, no, I, I that was you know pretty telling you, you know the way you put it that way. Let me ask you this: getting off quarterbacks, um, and I'm in that Giants locker room every day, and I will tell you they got a terrific group of guys, uh, very, very, very good. Now, you know, obviously they're not getting it done on the field, and that always becomes the bottom line. But as a GM and a coach as well, uh, Ernie. And I'm looking at what some of the names, the guys that you signed, for example, as a free agent. You know, one jumps out at me, Antonio Pierce, who was a good guy. Uh, but I also called him a badass. You know, he was a tough guy. 
and I, he can shake things up within the locker room and get everybody's attention. You know, as a GM and a coach, do you look for quote unquote a badass with a little bit of uh, you know, as they say, piss and vinegar to his personality? I look for a guy who's a competitor who can play in the clutch. I, I thought Jerry West was one of the greatest general managers in sports history. I mean, you study now. I know basketball. If you get Jabbar, you're you know you're over halfway home. I know all that. But I asked him once. I, whenever I have a chance, when I was around Red Auerbach or any of those guys, I only asked one question because I don't want to bother them with fifteen questions. And I said, "What is the first thing you look for when you scout?" Now I've heard basketball people tell me they're at a game in Wyoming. Jerry West was there scouting. I said, "What is what you look for?" I expected him to say hands, quick, good foot quickness. He said, "My first question is this: Will he be a good teammate? Is he a good teammate?" That takes in a lot of territory because you don't fool players. Players know, and I don't care what they say in the papers. I'm talking about what are they thinking, and you better know what's going on and what makes them tick, or you're not going to know your team. And players know who the guy is they can depend on when the chips are down. That's, that's what you want. And you knew, you knew that Antonio Pierce you could, you could depend on, or Tuck, or Osi or Strahan. You, you could depend on those guys. Plexico. You know, Plexico, a lot of people criticize Plexico. When the chips were down, you know, he supposedly, and I wasn't in the huddle, he beat in the last regular season game in 2007, he, he was beating uh, the defensive back with, with posts. And, and uh, so he, he told Eli during the game, uh, you know, I, I could get open on a post corner because they're, they're cheating on the, on the post because of what happened in the last regular season game. And Eli said, save it till we need it. And what happens? The game-winning touchdown. Yeah. When he touched that. That, you know, to me, that's a smart, tough competitor who wants the ball when the chips are down. And that's what I look for. A badass isn't a term I'd use. Toughness. Okay. And who could come through when the ch- in the clutch. That's what I want as a clutch athlete. Well, I mean, listen, the guy you dread, the guy we've been talking a bit about, Eli, uh, you know, it's not, might have the Opie Taylor from Mayberry personality, you know, on the outside, but people uh, forget how tough he is and how tough he's been. The players do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they'll tell you that. And and they, they, they know that. And, and uh, you know, tough that I've seen quarterbacks who, Bart, Bart Starr wasn't a big vociferous guy. But when Bart Starr walked over that sideline in the ice ball and, and it's Lombardi was going to call, you know, hand off to the fullback. It was Chuck Bersine because Corning and Taylor were gone. And he said, let me keep it. Now, everything's on the line. It's the last play of the game. You can't even feel the ball. No gloves. Let me keep it. And he's, he's running against Jethro Pugh and Bob Lilly. It's not like you and I were the two tackles. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, well, so, you, you know, as, as I'm sitting here, and I think I'll we'll get close to wrap this up, uh, Ernie, but as I'm sitting here, you know, t- talking about Eli, you know what's a good example of a guy not getting the proper protection for his entire career? Because I do believe if had he gotten the proper protection, he'd be a Hall of Famer was Eli's dad, Archie. Oh my I, I mean, Archie, to me, is one of the greatest, without a doubt, one of the greatest college quarterbacks I have ever, ever seen. I, in fact, I don't think Peyton or Eli in college was as good as him. But 
you know, listen, he played on a team, uh, on a Saints team, that he got his bell rung uh, and his chin knocked in every almost every game, and uh, subsequently he's not a Hall of Famer. You know, and he played, a quarterback ran more. Uh, in college, he was a running quarterback, right. and, and they didn't throw much. In the South. They didn't throw in the Southeastern Conference. I mean, Vince Dooley told me, he said, Steve Spurrier taught our league how to throw, how to pass. Mm-hmm. We were a running conference before that. And, you know, he'd roll out a lot and run the ball a lot. But the beating he took in New Orleans, is, is just, he never got a chance. You talk about the way they drafted. I mean, they gave us Burt Jones. Now, they this was at the end of Archie's career. They gave us Burt Jones in Baltimore for, for a, a defensive end who couldn't rush the passer. Uh, straight up. And, and no swap, no nothing, straight up. And, and there's a guy who would have gone to the Hall of Fame if he wouldn't have gotten hurt. But Archie had a play with that his entire career and never made a peep, never said a word. I mean, I ran the Pro Bowl three times when I worked for the commissioner. And I had the NFC team, and we never could get him in the Pro Bowl because he was always hurt. <laughs> three times I tried to, you know, he was elected to the Pro Bowl, and we had to get somebody else because he was always hurt. He was always undergoing surgery at the end of the year. Well, I, I obviously, you know, I'm, I'm sure that had something to do with his mindset many years later, uh, wanting Eli uh, to end up with you guys and not with uh, the, um, you know, San Diego Chargers. But right. that was then, and this is now. Now it's one and seven, and hopefully the next time we chat, uh, my friend, uh, uh, it'll be a lot better than one and seven. Ernie, of course, what can I say? It's always a pleasure. It's an honor having you on, and it's a bigger honor calling you a friend. So I thank you very much for being here. Well, thank you, Russ. Always enjoyable with you. All right, my friend. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Ernie, of course, special guy. They don't make them like him. Anyway, folks, that's a wrap on today. I want to thank you all for getting a load of this. Now I'd like to get a load of you. Let me know your thoughts on today's conversation with Ernie Accorsi. Uh, you can let me know at Twitter, at Russ Salzberg, uh, on Facebook. You can also go to my website, check it out. Real simple, it's russsalzberg.com. You can check out my blogs there. My thanks to the big guy across the way here, taking care of the board. Crash, a.k.a. Mike Caragliano. My thanks to Tim Einenkel, a producer for the OG Podcast Network. My thanks to 77 WABC Program Director Craig Schwab, to his assistant program director Matt Dahl, and always my thanks to use people out there, because without use people, I'd have nobody here to be talking to. So until next time, it's Russ Salzberg saying bye-bye, so long, and farewell. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.